This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. This is Father's Day, and I wanted to take the opportunity to use the book of Proverbs to talk about parenting. And as I was doing this, I I came across a story that is probably every dad's nightmare. There was a father who passed by his daughter's bedroom and was astonished to see the bed nicely made up and everything neat and tidy. And he saw an envelope propped up on the pillow, and it was addressed, Dad. With the worst of all premonitions, he opened up the envelope and he read the letter with trembling hands. Dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you. I had to elope with my new boyfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom. I've been finding real passion with Jeff, and he's so nice. I knew you would not approve of him because of all of his piercings, tattoos, tight motorcycle clothes, and the fact that he's so much older than I am. It's not just his passion, Dad. He really gets me. Jeff says that we're going to be very happy. He owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood, just enough for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many children. Please don't worry, Dad. I'm 15, and I know how to take care of myself. I'm sure we'll be back to visit someday so you can get to know your grandchildren. Your daughter, Chelsea. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Stephanie's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than a report card that's in my desk drawer. I love you. Call when it's safe for me to come home. (laughs) Proverbs is a brass tacks, rubber meets the road kind of book. It's there to help instill wisdom in us, to live with God-honoring competency in the gray areas of life. And as such, it shouldn't be surprising that it has a lot to say about parenting, And with this being a day where families celebrated, this was a good topic to dive into with you. This sermon is not done from the perspective of one who claims to be a wise parent. The message isn't built around my parenting resume. My kids are still young. There's much road ahead of them. And where that road leads, I do not know. I once asked a seminary professor of mine who had pastored for decades before joining the faculty of the school that I was attending, I Came to his office, I said, hey, I'm 25 years old at the time. How do I preach to 70-plus-year-olds? How do I do that with any kind of authority? And he said, your authority doesn't come from your age or experience, but the word of God. If you stick to the text, you will have all the authority God expects you to have. So this message is given from that perspective. I will also, however, a couple places draw on not so much... Uh, my own parenting approach, but the one I was raised with. 
I'm the oldest of four kids, and we are grateful to God that all four are walking with Christ. And while that is indeed a gift of God's grace, I do think my parents did some things quite well over the years. Now, besides the fact that parenting is a brass tacks, rubber meets the road kind of topic, why else does Proverbs feel the need to say so much about parenting? Why does it feel the need to talk so much about it? Well, it actually gives us that answer. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Children are not born wise. Everybody can say amen to that if you'd like. Children are born foolish. Thus the reason Proverbs has so much to say about parenting. In the original context of the book of Proverbs, for the people of Israel, parenting was a whole lot more than an isolated household concern. Parenting was a basic concern for the entire nation of Israel because without healthy homes, their communal life would turn to chaos. How children were raised was a key factor in the solidarity of that entire nation. Let me tell you something. Nothing has changed. If you want to erode the social fabric of society, start in the home. You want society to flourish? Flourish the family. Now, if you collect all the Proverbs on parenting, you'll see that they group into three primary categories. Instruction, modeling, and disciplining. That's how we'll look at it today. We're going to look at parenting from Proverbs. What do you do with your kids according to Proverbs? You instruct them, you model for them, and you discipline them. First, instruct them. Proverbs chapter 23, listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she's old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a son, a wise son, will be glad in him. Listen to your father. It implies dad is talking. But he's not talking about cars, sports, or politics. He's instilling truth into his son. Dads, you have a responsibility to disseminate wisdom, instruction, and understanding into your kids. That is not supposed to be outsourced to mom alone, or worse, outside the home. Dads, listen up. Do not shirk your responsibility. Teach your kids. Proverbs chapter 4, when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. 
keep my commandments and live. Notice, first of all, there is tenderness in our instruction. See that word added there? Its placement is meant to draw attention to this attribute, tenderness. We don't pulverize our children with our instruction, but be direct. And notice the command to heed the teaching that is to follow. Son, father addressing son, let your heart hold fast to what I'm teaching you. Obey my commands and you will prosper. In other words, son, it's your job to listen and learn and follow through. Now, I don't know that children naturally drift into this posture before dad and mom. So parents, idea, draft a job description for your kids and go through it with them. Give them their job description. Daughter, your job in life right now is to listen and learn from dad and mom. That's your job. Now, teach them. Teach them what? Teach them what? It's really open-ended. It's an enormous universe that it invites you into. What are you going to teach them? Well, let's do a thought experiment. What if your kids are not yours? What if your kids belong to God and he's loaned them out to you? (laughs) What will be your first step? You relate to your kids the way a money manager relates to the wealth of their investors. As a money manager, I hope you know that the money you have is not yours. You have to invest this money in line with the directions of, the purposes of, the values of the investors. And if you don't do that, it's called fraud. What if it's the same thing with parenting? What if your kids are not actually yours, but they belong to the Lord? You have to interact with them, teach them, guide them, coach them, love them in line with the directions of, the purposes of, the values of the investor, God himself. So, if that's the case, what would God want them to be taught? What if your kids are not yours, but they belong to God and he's loaned them out to you? What would he want you to teach his kids? Hmm. Where would we start? This list could be long. Let's start with the gospel. Parents, have you taught the gospel to your kids? Have you taught the gospel to your kids? Do you teach the gospel to your kids often? Now, if you go up to one of my kids and you ask them, what is the gospel? Here's the answer they're going to give you. And you have my permission to drill down deeper once they've given you this answer. In fact, I would appreciate that. What is the gospel? Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. The reason I like that is because it's, a, it's like the, the hub of a spider web. The strands of that 
go out from it and they can kind of just keep going. And so at times over the dinner table, we'll drill down into that. What kind of life did Jesus live? Did he keep the law perfectly? Crack open Leviticus and start reading. He kept all these. How amazing is it that Jesus lived like he did? Why did he have to live life this way? What kind of life have we lived? Why did Jesus have to die? So if we have lived like we have, and Jesus lived like he did, and yet died the death he died, what response ought that to create in us? Parents, have you explained the gospel to your kids? Do you do it frequently? What is the gospel? Here's another suggestion, what God may want them to be taught. (laughs) How about the book of Proverbs? The easiest way to teach your kids is literally staring us in the face. Some Old Testament scholars believe that Proverbs' primary audience was actually Israel's children. That this was a text used both in the home and within religious contexts to teach children. Primary audience being children. They would have grown up with the book. So, what does God want you to teach the kids he's loaned out to you? Proverbs. Take a proverb, read it over dinner, discuss it. Proverbs 13, 13. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Kids, what do you think God is saying to us through this verse? Those who thumb their noses at God's word have a bleak future in front of them. Those who stand in awe of God and his word will be rewarded at the final judgment. Some basic wisdom here. How about Proverbs 18, 17? The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Children, what wisdom does this verse offer us? Don't rush to conclusions. Gather all the facts first. You ever run into that with your kids? Or is it just me? Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Kids, you make plans. Sometimes they don't work out. That's not a time to fret. God's purposes for your life and the world can never be thwarted. What else would God want them to be taught? If Proverbs operates at the micro level, how about some practical skills to learn to manage life? Mowing the lawn. Tell you what, that has great benefit to me right now. (laughs) Clearing the driveway, checking the oil, cooking a meal, sewing, cleaning the house. Amen. As an aside, in our house, Saturday morning is chore day. Saturday morning is chore day. So they have their list. 
Saturday morning. I make them breakfast. Saturday morning, I make the family breakfast. Their, their bellies are nice and full, so this is not some sort of, you know, crack the whip, starve them to death, get them working, and then feed them. We feed them, we carbo them up, and then we send them to work. It's chore day. They know. Vacuuming, cleaning, sinks, counters, mopping, you name it. You name it. Teach them how to do that. For as long as our kids have been doing those chores, it's amazing to me how much we still have to teach them to do those things. (laughs) Balancing a checkbook, tying a tie, putting together a budget or a resume, driving a car, or fueling one, operating a computer, typing on one, investing money, picking out clothes, using coupons, shopping for deals, planning meals, how to siphon gas. (laughs) For the record, I don't want anybody calling me on this. I have not done that. Not done that. What's the point? Godly parents want their kids to live in God's world with shrewdness and soundness. Shrewdness and soundness. John Flavel, who pastored in the 1600s in the the coast of England, said, if you neglect to instruct them in the way of holiness, the devil will not neglect to instruct them in wickedness. This is your window. This is your opportunity. Second model for them. Teach them, instruct them, model for them. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Now there's a nugget of gold lying at the bottom of some grammatical bedrock in this verse. The word walk comes from a Hebrew stem that suggests a pattern of life, a constant way of conducting oneself. The first line echoes nearly verbatim God's command to Abraham in Genesis 17. He said, walk before me and be blameless. Blameless in Genesis 17 and integrity in Proverbs 20 are identical words. This verse ends up reading like one of Jesus' Beatitudes in Matthew 5. A parent's consistent walk with God provides blessedness for their children. Parents, your consistent walk with God, listen to this, your consistent walk with God codes into their bones what a consistent walk with God looks like and entails. As you model, you code into their bones. So parenting involves not just vocal instruction, but quiet demonstration. What does this look like? Parents, your children need to see and hear you pray. They need to see and hear you read Scripture. They need to see your faithful commitment to a local church. They need to see and hear you sing the worship songs with a good attitude. They need to watch you listen to the sermons 
One of the most graphic memories I have as a child growing up, keep in mind I was a pastor's kid, but I thought of all people who would know the message, it'd be my mom, faithfully, every week, taking notes on her husband's sermons. Never forget it. They need to watch and listen to you and, and listen, watch you listen to the sermons. They need to see you serve in church. In the home, they need to see you love and respect each other. The greatest gift you can give your kids is the gift of a healthy marriage. But they also need to see you prioritize time with them. Parenting involves not just vocal instruction, but quiet demonstration. Proverbs 23, verse 26. My son, give me your heart and, and let your eyes observe my ways. Now, in every generation, there are biblical teachings that go missing for one reason or another. It could be a lack of well-rounded Bible reading or preaching, or maybe we're just staying away from topics because it have an adverse reaction with the culture around us. One area of Bible teaching that has gone missing in our cultural moment is imitation. But Paul is not shy about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Philippians, sorry. 2 Thessalonians 3, it was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. How many times does Paul say, you want to know how to live? Watch me. I think we need more of that sentiment today, especially in the home. Son, daughter, you want to know how to live? Watch me. Now, I can just hear people recoiling at this idea. But I don't have a life worth imitating. A few things to note. Number one, imitation does not require perfection. Paul is transparent about his ongoing struggles with sin, his shortcomings. Yet that does not preclude him from exhorting Christians to follow his example. Second, watch me has a way of heightening our responsibility to our kids to be examples worth following. Watch me is a challenge you issue to yourself, dad and mom. Third, watch me, listen, watch me includes things like when I mess up, watch me repent. When I fall short, watch me confess my sin. When I hurt you, watch me admit it and ask for forgiveness. Watch me isn't a slogan for superstar Christianity. When you tell your kids to watch me, you're giving your kids parents who are following Jesus. In the late 1600s and early 1700s, a 
half literate Italian craftsman named Antonio Stradivari designed and made a series of beautiful musical instruments. Today, these violins, named after Latinized version of his name, Stradivarius, are considered priceless. In 2010, a Stradivarius violin was purchased for $3.6 million. It's believed there are only about 500 still in existence. And what people don't realize is that some of these violins have been submitted to the most rigorous, intense scientific examination in an attempt to reproduce their extraordinary sound quality. Have we been successful? No. Not even close. No one's been able to replicate Stradivari's craftsmanship. Nobody. Now, we know some things about the violins he made. We know that he used spruce for the top, willow for the internal blocks and linings, maple for the back, the ribs, the neck. He also treated the wood with several types of minerals, including potassium borate, sodium and potassium silicate, as well as a handmade varnish that appears to have been composed of gum, Arabic, honey, and egg white. But this genius craftsman never once wrote down his recipe, never recorded his technique for posterity. Instead, he passed on his knowledge to a number of his apprentices through what one scholar calls elbow learning. The apprentices of the great Stradivari didn't learn their craft from books or manuals, but by sitting at his elbow. They'd sit at his elbow, feeling the wood as he felt the wood, assessing its length, its balance, its timbre, as they would do that, right there in their fingertips, at his elbow. All the learning happened that way, at his elbow. All the knowledge was contained in his fingers. Parenting involves not just vocal instruction, but quiet demonstration. Parents, watch me is the call that goes out to your kids and simultaneously calls you up. We need to recapture in our homes (laughs) the art of elbow learning. Third, discipline them. Proverbs is obviously well known for its praise of the rod. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, the rod's not thrown in there haphazardly. The wisdom writer isn't mentioning it without purpose. The wisdom writer explicitly links the use of it to the development of wisdom. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 22.15, we looked at earlier, folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Use of the rod is essential in planting and nurturing wisdom in a child. Now, one of the more obvious observations we can make about these verses, parents, is that it's going to take more than words to dislodge folly from the heart of your children. 
(laughs) Using logic, well-crafted argumentation to explain to your three-year-old why sticking a fork in the electrical socket isn't a good idea isn't going to form seeds of wisdom in them. And because formation begins at an early age, parents need to learn to quote-unquote speak a language appropriate to each stage of life. Tim Keller, writing on this topic, writes, if parents do not bring carefully controlled, unpleasant consequences into the children's lives, they will go out into the world and bring far more painful and harmful results onto themselves later. Inflicting minor sadness now avoids great despair later. If you do that when they are young, there is hope that the child will internalize your training and learn self-control. If you don't, you are a willing party to their death. And it is not an overstatement to say a lack of discipline leads to death. Proverbs itself likens wisdom to life. Proverbs 8, wisdom speaks in the first person. Wisdom speaks in the first person in Proverbs 8. At the end of the chapter, this is what wisdom says. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Sheds further light on the blessings of wisdom. A lack of wisdom is injurious to the person lacking it. But finding wisdom brings life. And the writer subtly explains that life is favor from the Lord. In fact, some have observed over the years that finding favor in the sight of God seems to be a phrase or an idea that's expressed throughout all the wisdom books as though wisdom itself is finding favor in the sight of God. Derek Kidner, in observing the way Proverbs writes about the rod, says a hard way to wisdom is better than a soft way to death. I am grateful I was disciplined by my parents as a child. Exceedingly grateful. Never out of anger. Always followed by hugs and the words, we love you. It helped me link foolishness with unpleasantness. It helped me link rebellion with painful consequences. Because in reality, this is precisely how God has wired his world to work. God has wired up his world with natural consequences aplenty. But I'm also grateful for this discipline because it helped me link discipline with love. Proverbs chapter 3. This is a verse that's quoted in Hebrews. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Why? For the Lord reproves whom, him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. As children, we have a hard time understanding a parent's love for us in the midst of discipline. I remember sitting in my parents' lap after a time of discipline, crying. They're saying, we love you. 
I'm saying, no, you don't. (laughs) It's one of those things that can't be grasped until you reach into the later years. But I get it now. I get it now. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, is a fantastic image to think about the relationship between discipline and love and how they actually go together. He imagines a world-renowned artist, say a world-renowned artist walking through the streets of Cedarburg, like Mona Lisa-type caliber stuff, right? And then a group of children come up to the, to the artist. They draw something, draw something, draw. How much does he labor over that one? Eh, not so much. We put something together quickly for the kids and then you know, send them on their way. But that artist will take endless effort over his great work of art that he loves. And Lewis imagines that if that great work of art could talk and feel and speak, it would cry out in pain as the artist rubs and scrapes off and restarts for the 10th time. Lewis draws the conclusion that when we complain of the Lord's discipline, we are not asking for more love, but for less. Our Heavenly Father loves us too much to leave us as we are. In sending Jesus to bear in our place the ultimate discipline, he gave up too much to leave us short of full conformity with the image of Christ. Look, the Lord disciplines you because you are his great work of art whom he loves enormously. So it is with your kids. Discipline never feels pleasant. But after it's done its work, the result is a masterpiece. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these reminders, this important topic. The home was your idea. You called your people very early on to talk about you at home. When you wake up in the morning, when we lie down at night, we were were told that this is an important part of our function. The home matters to you. And so, Lord, we ask for your help. We need it. This is not something we do really well all by ourselves. We need your help. So, Lord, I pray that you'd press into us once again firm convictions of what your word tells us. We're to be parents who instruct our kids, who teach them, starting with the foundational truths of the gospel, that we're to model for them, that Our formation of them is not just vocal instruction, but quiet demonstration. And Lord, that we are to discipline them. Just as you, a loving father, discipline us. Because you are creating in us, forming in us, a great work of art. 
So, Lord, I pray for your help. We pray increasingly, God, that our homes would become the embodiment of the vision for which you created them. We ask to the glory of Jesus' name. Amen.